You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. In your Bibles, you can make your way to Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Page 469 is where you can find that on most of the uh, black hardcover Bibles under your seats. But as has been mentioned a couple times, uh, we are this morning kicking off not only the season of Advent, but a new Advent sermon series called The Coming King. Uh, If you were with us this fall, as we looked at the the life of Moses uh, through the book of Exodus, the Old Testament is filled with all of this anticipation of a Messiah, uh, an anointed leader over the people of God, a prophet, a priest, and a king who would come and who would usher in God's eternal kingdom. A lot of the prophecies in the Old Testament come in the historical books, books like Exodus. Uh, A lot of them also come in the major and minor prophets. So for example, um, almost all of our Advent wreath readings come from the prophet Isaiah. A lot of our Advent prophecies come from major and minor prophets and historical books. But there's also some incredible prophecies in the book of Psalms. This ancient prayer book, this ancient song book, is filled with its own anticipation of Jesus. So during Advent this year, we're going to look at some of the prophecies about Jesus from the Psalms. And we'll, we'll use the themes of our Advent wreath, hope and joy and peace and love and good news uh, as our framework to, to walk through that. So this morning, we're going to see that the coming King restores our hope. Coming King restores our hope. One of my favorite lines in any Christmas carol uh, is the one from O Holy Night, which goes, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And I don't know where you find yourself in your life right now, but I could use a thrill of hope right now. Uh, this has not been my favorite year, say it that way. Um, both personally, I felt that. Uh, pastorally, I felt that. This is a year that's been characterized by more moments of weariness than thrills of hope to use the grid from, from that song. And some of you, I mean, even just looking at your faces and knowing your stories and what you're going through, have had way more weary years than I have. And then from our own lives, we just zoom out a little bit. The, the weariness of our world is evident everywhere. There are multiple global conflicts going on right now in, in this month of prayer for the persecuted church that just finished this past week. Maybe we're even more aware of, of some of those. There's widespread cultural confusion and contention playing out all the time, seemingly, right? But don't worry because 2024 is an election year. So surely the temperature will dial down in just a few months, <laughs> right? Our world, our world is weary. Uh, some of us, maybe many of us are weary. And so I just would invite you this morning to take that weariness and to imagine what it must have been like for the weary people of God who were waiting in silence for 400 years for their Messiah. Not knowing when, just trusting that he would come. Before the thrill of Jesus's arrival, those men and women needed smaller thrills of hope. Uh, They needed sustained, resilient Hope. That's the only way for anybody to endure a world that is broken and corrupted by sin. That's the only way to not be consumed by the weariness. The people of God need their hope continually restored while they await their ultimate hope. 
And Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 show us how to find restored hope. In our Bibles, these are two Psalms, uh, but in some of the early Hebrew manuscripts, they were actually just one. As, you're, as you'll hear in just a moment, they share the same refrain. Uh, Psalm 43 doesn't have its own header, its own title like Psalm 42 does. Uh, so whether it was originally one or two, we don't really know, but they certainly go together. It's really one song with three stanzas. And it's a song about how our hope can be restored. So I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is Psalm 42 and 43, beginning in verse one. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray for us this morning. God, our creator, you remind us that the darkness of our, of our ignorance and our doubt, the darkness of sin and the brokenness of this world cannot overcome your life-giving word. So may your Holy Spirit who first inspired these words of scripture, now shine your light and once again, awaken us to the hearing and living of this radiant truth. And we pray all of that in Jesus' name, amen. How do we pursue restored hope as we await our ultimate hope? Three things for us to see in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Honest expression, healthy estimation, and hopeful expectation. Honest expression, healthy estimation, and hopeful expectation. 
So first let's talk about honest expression. When you're weary, when you're feeling hopeless, it does no good to pretend otherwise. And just to normalize this, you will feel weary and hopeless, sometimes for long stretches. With the brokenness of, of this world, if you never feel those things, it's, it's almost certainly because you're not actually paying attention. There's actually a dishonesty to not acknowledging the fact that things, there's things worth feeling weary and hopeless over. It's lying to yourself. It's lying to other people about the condition of things. And so these Psalms, like so many of the Psalms are filled with honest expression. Verse three, my tears have been my food day and night. I'm not eating. I'm not sleeping. I'm just crying. Verse six, my soul is cast down within me. Verse seven, all your breakers and waves have gone over me. In other words, I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I'm drowning. On top of that are all this psalmist's why questions. Like verse nine, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? Or Psalm 43, verse two, why have you rejected me? And then repeats that same question. Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? Why is a question that screams hopelessness? A couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of being part of an interfaith panel uh, at Hershey Medical Center. Will DeKrieger, who's one of our members here at Liberty, is also a med student at Hershey. Uh, and he, he and along, along with uh, several other med students put together this interfaith panel about suffering, uh, where we discussed how faith informs our understanding and our experience of suffering, both for medical providers and for, for patients. And naturally, one of the main questions, the first question was the why question. Suffering people ask, why? Why is this happening to me? The thing is often when someone asks that question, they're not looking for an answer. Not really. Like often when they say to you, when someone says to you, why is this happening to me? It's not a request for a, a doctrinal or philosophical discussion in that moment. Often the why question is simply an expression of their pain, of their weariness. On the cross, Jesus had his own why question. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he knew the answer. He knew the answer. He wasn't asking someone there for the answer. He was as a fully human man expressing the immensity of his suffering in that moment. That's what the psalmist is doing, is doing here. There are many things that can cause hopelessness. For this psalmist, who's one of the sons of Korah, the title tells us, he's unable to gather with God's people and to worship at the temple. And we don't know exactly what's keeping him from that, what's preventing him. He might be in exile. He might be in captivity somewhere, but it's leaving him feeling incredibly dry spiritually. He's thirsting to experience the presence of God. For him, there's also a vocational element to this. The sons of Korah were responsible for different aspects of worship at the temple. That was part of their job. So this psalmist is being kept from both worship and work. And no doubt wrestling with a sense of purposelessness, having both of those things removed from him. On top of that, he's being taunted. Other people are saying to him, verse three and verse 10, where is your God? What's he gonna do about your situation? How about us? What, what causes our weariness? What causes our hopelessness? There's a massive range of possibilities. Everything from clinical depression 
to a bad day. There can be physiological causes, psychological causes. There are also spiritual causes. And many times it's a combination of all of those things. So it's really important for us to always be holistic, not reductionistic when it comes to to this. But regardless of the cause, and especially when the cause isn't clear, because it's not always clear, it's necessary and it's good for us to give honest expression to our hopelessness. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Can I just assure you of that this morning? That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean you lack faith. In fact, being willing to engage the hopelessness honestly often means you have more faith. You're not just trying to sweep it under the rug. You're not just trying to, to soldier on. You're trying to actually address it. But the thing to learn from this psalmist is to honestly express your hopelessness to God. To God. He says in verse nine, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? How do we address our hopelessness? One way is we talk to God. We talk to God. We take our honest expression to him instead of taking it somewhere else. I just want to encourage you with this this morning, friends. The God who created you, the God who created heaven and earth can handle your weary groaning. He can handle your weary groaning. Creation itself is always groaning under the weight, under the weariness of sin. He hears it all the time from creation. He can hear it from you too. And the God who hung on a cross and asked his own why question can handle yours, can handle yours. So when you feel hopeless, be honest about it. Take time, slow down enough to honestly express it to God. Some of you today, this week, need to create some space to pray, to, to write out the causes as best as you can discern them of your hopelessness, to write out your why questions, and then to talk to God about it, to pray through them. As the psalmist puts it in verse four, to pour out your soul to God. Second, let's talk about healthy estimation. Honest expression is good. It's necessary. But honesty is not the finish line of seeking restored hope. Honesty is really just the starting gate. What we see the psalmist then do in this text, in addition to his honest expression, is to pursue healthy estimation. In his writing, in his praying, in his, in his singing of these words, he's working to calibrate his thinking. What's actually true and what's a lie? This taunt in verse three and verse 10, where is your God? That taunt is based on a lie. It's suggesting that if God were real, if God cared, he would be helping right now. But the taunter is suggesting he's not doing that. Your circumstances haven't changed. So God must not care about you. Or maybe God does care about you, but he's not powerful enough to actually do something about that. Maybe your God isn't even real. Where's your God? You've heard the phrase, perhaps, misery loves company. So does hopelessness. So does hopelessness. Hopelessness loves company. It loves to drag other people into a sense of hopelessness. It's like if you've ever done any training to be a lifeguard. Some of you have maybe done that in different seasons of your life. If you've ever done any training to be a lifeguard, you have to be really careful when you attempt to rescue a person who's drowning. It's really easy for a drowning person to freak out to start flailing and to take their rescuer and to pull them under. We could say it like this, drowning people drown people. Hopeless people pull other people into their hopelessness. And so 
underneath whatever bravado, whatever taunting someone might be doing on the outside, people who are without God, people who have rejected the invitation to know God and to be known by God, they are incredibly hopeless people. The apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2 that in a previous time, the Ephesians, who he's writing to, they'd been separated from Christ. They'd been alienated from the people of God. They were strangers to the covenant of promise. And Paul says, they were without hope and without God in the world. Who are the truly hopeless people in the world? Those who don't know God. Those who don't know God. These taunters in reality are the hopeless ones. But because their hopelessness loves company, they're now trying to pull this psalmist into their hopelessness, their lie in the form of this question, where is your God? That's their attempt of doing just that. And so the psalmist here is seeking to combat that lie with the truth. He's seeking to gain a healthy estimation of what's really true. And to do that, he wrestles through some things in this psalm. He wrestles through some things. For example, God is everywhere. And yet he's present in the special, in a special way at the temple in Jerusalem. And so these taunters are saying to him, where is your God? And in one sense, the answer is, well, he's in Jerusalem. That's where the temple is. And you know what? I am far from there. You're right. I'm far from home. God feels incredibly distant to me right now. But at the very same moment, God is present with the psalmist. As one author put it, God is remote enough for the psalmist to feel deserted, but near enough to talk to. So where is your God? He's in Jerusalem, but he's also right here. That's the truth. That's what he's wrestling to believe. Similarly, the psalmist says, I'm sad. I'm crying all the time. My tears have been my food both day and night, but also verse eight, by day, God is commanding his steadfast love. And by night, God's song is with me. His days and his nights are filled with both sorrow and wrestling for this confidence that God is still there, that God is still with him. This is the psalmist seeking healthy estimation. He's saying, I'm feeling really sad. I'm feeling really hopeless, but God is still God. It feels like he's rejected me, but he's still my rock. So I'm saying to God, who is my rock? Why have you rejected me? Nothing about my circumstances, the psalmist says, have changed the nature or the character or the promises or the presence of God. When we're hopeless, we need healthy estimation. And there are a number of ways to to pursue that. Number of ways. But in light of the context of this psalm, one to mention this morning is to make sure we prioritize gathering with other people to worship. Prioritize gathering with other people to worship. In this moment, that's something the psalmist can't do. He's being prevented from doing that. He's longing to, as you heard. He can't wait to, to get back to worship God. He can't wait to get back to Jerusalem, to God's dwelling, to the temple and sing praises with the people of God there. He's clearly done that before. And probably a lot of times he remembers verse four, how he used to go to the temple with glad shouts and songs of praise, how they would keep festival together. And it was in the course of those gatherings that he was formed into the worshiper. He is it's those times of gathering I'm sure among other things, but those times of gathering that formed him in the truth. In gathered worship, he would have learned about the steadfast, the covenant love of God. Gathered worship is what's gotten those those truths deep into his soul so that now in this hopeless time, when he can't gather, he is still able to cling to this healthy estimation of what's true. 
Some of us make the mistake of only coming to church when we want to. When we feel hopeful. When it's easy, on the days that it's easy for us to smile and to say things like God is good all the time and all the time God is good. But it's when that's hard to believe. It's when that seems like it's not true. That's a reason to gather too. Maybe even more of a reason to gather. That's when you need someone to say to you, like Nate said to all of us this morning, now look up. Now look up and be encouraged. That's when you need someone to look you in the eye at the communion table, like we'll do in a little bit and say, this is the body of Christ for you. This is the blood of Christ for you. I want to speak just especially to our our in-covenant members uh, for just a moment this morning. This church has to be a place where hopeless people can come. Where the expectation is not that people are happy and glad and put together and shiny every time they walk through our doors. At one point or another, every single one of us will be that hopeless person. Every single one of us will be the weary one. Some of us are there right now. And and not to mention even people who at present don't know Jesus, who are objectively without God and without hope in the world. And we definitely want them here too. So our answer can never be, go figure out your hopelessness somewhere else and then come back when you're hopeful. It has to be, bring your hopelessness here. Let us help you. Let us help you spot the lie. Let us help you be formed in a healthy estimation of what's actually true. An in-covenant member or not, all of us need to prioritize gathering with others for worship. If you're not prioritizing that, if you're like the millions of American Christians who over the last decade have drastically reduced your church attendance, if you're like the the millions of churchgoers who since COVID, since live stream became a, a very normal and common thing, Maybe go to church once or twice a month, call that good, still call that your home church. I would say to you this morning, you need to reprioritize gathering with people physically as much as you're able in person to worship. You can do that with us. We would love to have you do that here. We would love for you to gather with us as much as you are possibly able to do that. Or if it's not here, that's okay too. We would love to help you find a place where you can do that. But as the author of Hebrews puts it, Don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When we're hopeless, we need a healthy estimation and a critical way to be formed in that is to gather with other people. So we talked about honest expression. We talked about healthy estimation. Third and final thing to learn from the psalmist is hopeful expectation. Hopeful expectation. You noticed perhaps that there's a refrain to this psalm. It's one, of, it's one of the main things which ties the two together, which makes scholars think it probably was one song originally. In Psalm 42, it's in both verses five and 11. In Psalm 43, it's, it's again in verse five. Let me just read it for us again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. One author defines hope as a patient but expectant waiting for God. Patient but expectant. Hope means you have an expectation that God is actually going to show up. So one of the ways that we pursue hope is to fight for that sense of expectation. And this psalm is nothing if not a fight song. 
This is a fight song. This is the psalmist going to war against the weariness, against the despair, against the hopelessness that he's experiencing in this moment. Though the refrain is the same, I mean, the words are exactly the same all three times, but it's not mere repetition. There's a progression to these Psalms. It's as though the more he says these words, the more he actually believes them. He isn't just honestly expressing how he feels. He isn't just trying to calibrate his thoughts with healthy estimation. He is fighting for hope. It's incredibly normal for all of us to experience hopelessness in life. That's why actually it's right here in the Psalms. The Psalms in so many ways validate the human experience. They validate what it is to to experience both the beauty and the brokenness of life in a world that's been created by God, but also corrupted by sin. So even as a Christian, maybe especially as a Christian, it is normal to feel hopeless at times. What's abnormal is to give into the hopelessness. It's abnormal to give into the hopelessness. Sometimes, a lot of the time, we have to accept our circumstances. We are limited. We are human beings. We are limited. We have limited ability to change things. But what we never have to accept, what we must never accept as God's people in this world is a hopeless perspective about our circumstances. And what we see here is that the way to fight for hope is not only to talk to God, that's part of it. It's not only to gather with others, that's part of it, but also to talk to yourself. The famous Welsh preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, put it this way. said, most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. And he goes on to say, you have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? See, in our, in our culture, conventional wisdom says, listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. But the psalmist is saying, no, 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 no. Talk to your heart. Preach to your soul. Why are you so hopeless, soul? You're acting like this is the end of the story and it's not the end of the story. God is still God. God is still my salvation. I will again praise him. Commenting on the psalm, an author named Courtney Reisick says, for the Christian, talking to yourself this way is not a sign of madness, It's a sign of maturity. It's not madness. It's maturity. This is what mature Christian faith, a mature Christian life sounds like. It's honest, but it's also hopeful. It's fighting for hope. It's not cynical. It's not downcast all the time. Some of us have been so put off by the varieties of Christianity that try to force you to feel happy all the time that we've swung the pendulum really hard the other way. Cynicism is not maturity either. Fighting for hope, that's Christian maturity. So I want to encourage you today, this week, memorize this refrain of Psalm 42 and 43. It's not super long. It's repeated three times in this text. Memorize the refrain of Psalm 42 and 43 and then put it to use in your own life. When you're weary, when you're hopeless, you don't even have to wonder what to say. Speak these very words to your soul. Just like the psalmist did, use these words. Don't just listen to yourself and give honest expression. Don't just gather with others and gain a healthy estimation. Talk to yourself until your soul is stirred with hopeful expectation. And in the midst of this this really incredible example of how to address hopelessness, 
are some words far more prophetic than I'm sure the psalmist realized. In Psalm 43, verse three, he writes, send out your light and your truth. That, that's what is going to enable me to praise you again, God. That's what the psalmist is saying. That's what's going to restore my hope. When you send out your light and your truth and you lead me by your light and your truth. And one day, after 400 years of silence, God would do exactly that beyond what any of his people could have asked or imagined. John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. The psalmist prayed, send out your light and your truth. And one day God answered by sending his son. So church, how much more reason do we have to be people of resilient hope? We have in our rear view mirror, the light and the truth of Jesus, the God who took on flesh to become the light of the world, who took on flesh to become the truth through whom we have a way to the father. So with honest expression, talk to God. The God who hung on a cross and asked his own why question can certainly handle yours. For the sake of healthy estimation, gather with others for worship. Allow the gathered people of God to help you spot and combat the lie. And then talk to yourself until your soul is stirred with hopeful expectation. Weary and hopeless as you might be, this Advent, may you fight for the hope that is held out to you in the light and the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we confess that we need your grace moment by moment to fight for this hope. We have every reason to live every moment of our lives with hope. And yet we know sin just constantly robs it from us. We ask for grace to walk through this life as genuinely hopeful people and we ask this morning, Father, that you would remind us that you have entered into this world, that you have hung on a cross, that you have risen again from the dead to establish our firm hope. You are Jesus, as we're going to sing to close our service, our living hope. So grant us now grace from your spirit as we come to your table. Strengthen us again. Renew us in, in hope today. And we pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.